Psalm chapter 81. Psalm 81 for our message tonight. We'll be looking at verse 7 of Psalm 81. You called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray your blessing upon your word. May you be glorified in it and our souls benefited by it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, here are a series of short statements. Uh, These are all historical statements. Uh, the, The context here of the psalm is the deliverance of the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, the great the great exodus, and, uh, and so these statements are concerning uh, Israel and their facts of history. God has done these things for them in ancient times, but we're told in the New Testament that the things that were written, such as these things, were written for our learning and through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, so that through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So these things are written for us, though they're historical statements about Israel. It was God's intent that these stories of deliverance be told in succeeding generations. In fact, he commanded the Jews of that day to tell them to their children. And of course, he preserved them for us for all time by recording them in the Holy Scriptures. And the Scriptures cannot be broken. And many uh, wicked tyrants have tried to stamp out the Word of God, but here we have it right here in front of us and it's for our edification and for our comfort and i hope that you'll get that edification and comfort from it here tonight so so there's much application for us in this passage god's people are god's people in every generation god is ever at work among us and we're ever in need of deliverance i know i am and i'm sure you many times feel the same way well then let's consider then the, uh, the words, you called, it says you called. From ancient times, men have called upon God, and we call this prayer. This means that the ministry of Jesus Christ was already at work long before he was manifested as Jesus, the Messiah. Because in John fourteen six he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And that was back then as well. And we see these pictures in the Old Testament. I think of the story of Jacob when he was out in the middle of the wilderness fleeing from his brother Esau. And remember, he spent that very lonely night and his uh, had a rock for his pillow that night. So he had a very hard rock, but he had a very good dream. A very hard pillow, but he had a very good dream. And that dream was uh, this ladder that God sent down and he had the ladder and the top of the ladder was in heaven and the bottom of the ladder was on the earth. And the uh, angels of God were ascending and descending upon that. And we know that that was a picture of Christ because he told Nathan that it was in John chapter 1. He told Nathan that here on you shall see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So that tells us that that ladder was certainly an Old Testament picture of Christ. The top of the ladder was in heaven, picturing his divinity. The bottom of the ladder was upon the earth, picturing his humanity. 
and the angels of God ascending and descending upon it were the fact that all the good that we get in this world is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the fountain of every single blessing. Nothing good comes into our lives except through him. He is Lord of heaven and earth. And he said, all authority is given to me in heaven and upon earth. And when we're distressed, we can have that comfort. So that authority is still vested in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we saw it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament as well. His ministry in the Old Testament was known only through types and shadows, mostly. I say only or mostly through types and shadows. Um, and prophecies, uh, of course, from the prophets and all of that. But God-fearing people have always called upon him. God-fearing people have always prayed. And here is comfort and help for us. He said, you called. Yes, in ancient times they called. And much more may we call. Indeed, how foolish it is if we don't call. God is most willing to deliver, but he insists that we call. And in fact, he reproves some by saying, you have not because you ask not. You don't have because you don't ask. He expects us to call. He commands us to call. And it's foolish not to call. God is most willing to let us be men and women and boys and girls of prayer. God wants you to be a person of prayer. And uh, so because of that, then, let us call. Let us call. What's holding you back? Why won't you call? We ought to call upon God. Let us call early in the morning. Let us call late at night. Let us call when we awake in the middle of the night. Let us call in the middle of the day, in the midst of our busy day. Let's call. Let us call though uh, we would give, as though we would give him no rest. And what a privilege we have to get to pray to our Father in heaven, as I mentioned this morning. This is a great privilege of being a member of the household of God. It's a privilege that we neglect way too much. As the hymn says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And isn't that a very true thing? In trouble, you called in trouble. Or in distress, you called, as the ESV puts it. The most common and the most earnest calling upon God is in times of trouble. That's when we call the most often and the most earnestly. We don't usually thank him with tears of joy as much as we entreat him with tears of sorrow and distress. Indeed, there are times when we forget to thank him at all. But we seldom, as God's people, forget to pray when we're in need, or at least we sure shouldn't. And the greater the need, the more fervent our prayers are. I know that is with me. It's very gracious of God to not take offense at this, don't you think? But he doesn't take offense. He says, you called. You called in trouble. It's a matter of fact. He commands us to be thankful we can always be more thankful than we are. And I'm glad that he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. Indeed, he tells us to call upon him when we're in trouble. Psalm 50:15, call upon me in the day of trouble. It's a command, call upon me in the day of trouble. We live in a world where trouble is never very far away. 
In Job 5, 7, it says that man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. And Matthew Henry commenting on that passage says, there's nothing in this world we are born to and can truly call our own but sin and trouble. Now, both are as the sparks that fly upward. And God's people are not immune to troubles. But we do have something that the rest of the world doesn't have. As I mentioned this morning, we have an invitation from God who controls and rules everything in heaven and on earth to call upon him in times of trouble. And we have the great and the wonderful promise that he will undertake on our behalf. You called in trouble and I delivered you. This means, first of all, that he heard. God hears the cry of the troubled soul, doesn't he? When you pray, do you expect God to listen? You should. Or do you just hope that he hears? Christian, did you know that God is kindly disposed towards you? He is kindly disposed towards you. And when your heart is broken, especially then, he wants to hear from you. He wants you to call upon him. 2 Corinthians 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. You know, that saying is saying God's looking for an excuse to deliver you. He's looking for an excuse. He's looking for a reason to intervene in your life. He's not reluctant. Not at all. God is constantly, all the time, looking for occasions to show himself strong on your behalf. And this explains so much about dark providences. Children, children, a dark providence is when things are happening in your life that you wonder if God really loves you. Something might happen in your life. You say, oh, God, this hurts so much. I just can't believe that you would have let this happen to me or to my family or to my grandfather or somebody that you love. And you say, God, why would you let such a terrible thing happen? And then we wonder where God is. is God, does God even care at all? And so we need to remember that in these dark providences, our God wants us to call upon me. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. You see... Uh, uh, William Cooper says this. He says, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. I love those words. Now compare the language here in this verse with Psalm 50:15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. This is what we ought to do when God does Deliver us. In this verse, we have an imperative. We have a command. Call upon me in the day of trouble. And in Psalm 81, he says, you called. And I did deliver. I did deliver. Um, when a child is crying in the night, what do the parents do? You know, when we had little children, the children would cry out at night and their mother would be right up with them. I usually didn't. And there was reasons for that. It takes me hours to get back to sleep. It takes her about, oh, 10 seconds, maybe. So she had pity upon me, and she didn't make me normally have to get up with the children unless we had all three of them crying at the same time. Then she appreciated my help. But what does a parent do when the child cries? 
he goes into the room. He says, oh, honey, what can I do for you? Did you have a bad dream? He comforts them, right? Don't you comfort your children when they're having a bad dream or they wake up crying in the middle of the night? Some of you children have done that, haven't you? I bet you some of you kids have done that recently. You woke up and you were terrified. You're scared of something. You had a bad dream and you woke up and you're crying. And who do you want? You want the comfort of your daddy or your mommy. And that's only appropriate. And uh, and so um, please understand, this is the attitude of God towards all of his children. We're all little ones in his sight. The oldest and the gray-headedest of us. The, the strongest of us are but small and, and, and very small in his sight. Uh, our troubles become his troubles, just like a parent feels towards his children, only he's not sinful. He does, he, he, his compassions are even better. He owns our troubles. He controls our troubles. They hurt us no more than he intends for them to hurt us. He says to those troubles that befall us, just as he speaks to the angry waves of the sea, hitherto shalt thou come and no further. He speaks sovereignly and the waves must stop. A Christian, just as God has set limits for the waves of the sea, so he has set limits for the troubles that you go through. And this is great comfort for our souls. In 1 Peter 5, 7, when the verse I quoted this morning, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Did I read that right? He cares? He cares for you? Don't ever say, nobody cares. Don't say that. When you say that, you're saying something about God's word that isn't true. You're lying about God's word. You're slandering him. Nobody cares about me. No, somebody does care about you. And that's our God. He cares. And um, and he has compassion upon us. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? It's hard for us to believe that God could love us as he does, but he says that he does, and we need to take him at his word. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You see... There's one trouble that's greater than any other trouble that there could ever be, and that is the trouble of sin. We talked about that this morning, the trouble of sin in our lives. That is the greatest trouble that anyone can ever have, having sin that's unforgiven. And we talked about that this morning, that we need to have our sins forgiven, and that's why Jesus came into the world, that we might have our sins forgiven. He died on the cross to make atonement for our sins, as you know. I like the verse that says, Was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. That's our Savior who came to pay for our sins and to take us to heaven. Well, let's uh, now look at the next phrase. He says, I answered you in the secret place of thunder. Well, let's first consider... I answered you. Now, how marvelous is it that God answers us? But here are some truths about God's answers that we need to keep in mind when we consider that God answers us. First of all, God's answers are wise. When we pray to God and we ask him for something, his answers are, are answered in the context of his wisdom. We must never forget that. That his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. 
you know, we scheme and we think of a hundred different scenarios uh, that uh, would make our deliverance uh, easy, but uh, uh, God usually chooses to answer in none of those ways, but he comes up with a much wiser way. Uh, he does something better. Uh, think about the Israelites before the Red Sea. Uh, they were in trouble. And, 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 and I'm sure that not one of them thought, wouldn't it be nice if God just parted the sea and we walked over on dry land? Uh, can you imagine one of them saying that to one of the others? Say, wouldn't it be, hey, just what if God did this? Wouldn't he just parted the ocean and we walked through on dry land? He'd say, yeah, right. That's never happened since the beginning of the earth. How's that ever going to happen? I mean, they couldn't imagine. They had Pharaoh's army before us, behind them. They had the sea in front of them. They had nowhere to run. They, they didn't have uh, an organized army of their own to fight Pharaoh's army. They, were, they just thought it was all over. They, all they could do, what did they do? The Bible says they called. They called in their distress. What did God do? He did something that had never been done before in the history of the world. He parted the Red Sea, and we know the rest of the story, right? But we know it because we read it. It's long history. Well, whatever you're going through, God can do the same thing. He can come up with something that's never been done before in the history of the world. Why would you limit God? We shouldn't limit God. God can deliver us from anything at all, no matter how difficult it appears to us. One of my wife's favorite songs is, Got Any Rivers That You Think Are Uncrossable? Got any mountains that you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He can do things that no other can do. We should always remember that and never lose heart. Think about Joseph in, um, in prison. And uh, would he have ever expected that he's going to interpret these dreams? And then some years later, this person's going to tell Pharaoh because Pharaoh's going to have this wild and crazy dream that nobody can interpret. And Pharaoh's going to... Learn about Joseph being able to interpret your dreams, and he's going to call him out of prison, and he's going to exalt him to be the, the his, his right-hand man in, uh, in the kingdom. You think he ever thought of that? I'm sure the greatest dream that Joseph ever had is someday he'd be let out of prison so he'd go home to his dad. You know? I bet you that's his wildest dream. Oh, God, if I could only get out of here, go back to my home. It would be like heaven on earth. I can't imagine anything greater than that. But God had things far greater than that for Joseph. And, uh, and they're starving in the wilderness, and they, can't, they don't have water, and they're complaining because there's no water in the wilderness. Who would have thought that God would have Moses strike the rock, and out from the rock would flow waters? Uh, to feed the whole nation, to the whole nation have plenty. Who would have thought of it? Never happened before. But God, uh, God delivered them in these ways. So we can't anticipate how God will answer, but He will answer. He says, He says that uh, uh, I answered you. Uh, men ought always to pray and never lose heart. It says in Luke. Uh, Jesus said in Luke chapter 18. But sometimes we do lose heart because God does not work in the way that we think is the wisest because we think we know what's the wisest way for God to deliver us, and we really don't. We don't know what's wisest as far as the way he does it. We don't know what's wisest as far as the timing. But in our puffed-up imagination, we think that we do, and that's why we allow ourselves to get discouraged. Oh, God, this is one that you're not going to touch. I can see that. You're not going to touch this one. Well, uh, that's no way to live by faith. 
Have you ever given God advice? You ever done that? Oh, I've done that many times. And I catch myself as a, I don't think he needs my advice. I think all I got to do is give him the problem. Let him figure it out. Don't think he needs to be told any advice how to do it. So uh, <clears throat> the second thing about God's answer is that he always, his answers always come at the right time. He's never late, but he's also never early. And we want him to show up early, don't we? But that's not his way. And yet, what every Bible story uh, tell me, whatever Bible story have you ever read that you wish God would have showed up earlier? You know? I mean, it's a better, it's a better story because he showed up when he did, right? Think of the book of Esther. Just think of the timing. Think of the timing of Haman coming into the king's palace right after the king happened to remember about this, uh, read in the Chronicles about, uh, you know, Mordecai saving the king's life and uh, and here, 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 Haman comes right before the king. He wants to ask for the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows. And just right after the king is reminded of Mordecai's uh, loyalty. Ah, the timing. I mean, the timing is perfect. Would you want it to be any different? I mean, the story is so great because of the way the timing works out. But that's the same way in our own lives. You see, God would get more glory because of the timing of how he does things. And I'm... Um, I'm sure that Saul and the army of Israel would have liked to see Goliath struck by lightning. I'm sure the day before uh, David showed up, if they'd had their preference, they'd had God just strike him down with lightning. Don't you think? Right? But would that have been as good of a story as what we have with David and Goliath? No, the timing was better to have David come and do what happened, and we got so much edification from reading that story. The third thing that I would mention about God's answers is God's answers are all tied to his own glory and our sanctification. As it says in Psalm 50:15 that we already talked about, call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. God's answers are designed to bring him glory, not us. It's not our glory, it's his. And sometimes we do gain some glory for ourselves in them, but we must need to be we, we need to beware not to take that glory to ourselves that is due to God alone. But we also have in Psalm 27, 14, it says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. There's no way to go through the Christian life for very long without having to exercise the grace of patience. And that is waiting upon the Lord. Waiting upon the Lord is part of your Christian walk. Here, here we have David writing under divine inspiration. And if it had been me, I would have said, be of good courage and God will deliver you. But here he says, be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. See, this speaks of our sanctification. He will deliver us too. But the one thing is he aiming at in our waiting is to strengthen our heart. To have a strengthened heart is to have a strengthened faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God, we know, don't we, from Hebrews 11. See, the wicked are frightened by the rustling of a leaf, while the Bible says the righteous are bold as a lion. When we faint at the first sign of trouble, it's a sure sign that we have an immature faith. 
It's not God's will that we should remain babies in the faith. God wants you to grow up and be strong in the faith. So God is always actively at work to grow us in grace. And he does this oftentimes through this very process of allowing us to get into some kind of a difficulty that he has already designed a way for us to get out of, but he wants us to trust him. I think all our lives we're just learning to trust him, like I mentioned this morning about that song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And if you're not happy in Jesus today, I can tell you something. It's something wrong with your trusting or there's something wrong with your obedience. And so God is always actively at work in us. He uses so many different various means. He uses the normal means of grace, of course, the reading and the preaching of the word of God, public and private prayer and worship, things of that nature. But he also uses affliction and trouble and sorrow. And then he says, now you wait. Let me strengthen your heart. And then I'll deliver you when I believe it's time for you to be delivered. It's the way God works in our lives. And then it says, I answered you in the secret place of thunder. Now, there are three places in the Psalms that mention this secret place, and all of them have to do with deliverance. Psalm 18 says, And he rode upon a cherub and flew, and he flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Uh, for the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed, passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, in deliverance. Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then it goes on to say, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. In Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. And then we have here in our passage that we're looking at here, we have the secret place of thunder. Well, several things I want to mention about the secret place. First of all, God has a secret place for all of his children. And it's a place of refuge for us only, only for his children. It's a secret because it's a place that only we know of. Try telling the world about it and they'll scoff. Or smile at us condescendingly, like we're trusting in a fairy tale. But our secret place is a mighty fortress. It's a mighty fortress of strength. It's a bulwark to help us. It never fails. See, they trust in only what they can see. They trust in the arm of the flesh and in the power of earthly and carnal weapons. And these things will always fail them. If you trust in these things, they will always fail you. But we trust in that which is unseen, but powerful, mighty, that which is invisible and yet very real, and that which is sometimes difficult for us. Uh, exercising faith is never easy. But the promises of the living God, the Lord God of heaven and earth, will never fail us. 
Secondly, it's a secret place like no other secret because it is widely published. And preachers and missionaries and Christians of all ages have been shouting it from the rooftops for thousands of years. This secret place, Jesus Christ, our refuge. He saves and he alone saves. Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. This is our secret place. This is our refuge. Why should it be a secret? We're not quiet about it. We tell people about it. Still a secret. Still a best kept secret yet in the world. The best kept secret is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you can put your faith and trust in a man who died upon the cross. And in that faith in Christ, in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can have our sins forgiven and our life changed and delivered from the greatest trouble that we could ever have, as I said earlier. He calls it here the secret place of thunder. Now, I believe this is speaking of God's voice. It appears from Scripture that the nearest thing in nature that describes the audible voice of God is thunder. John 12, 28 through 29, Jesus said, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. Revelations 14, 2, and I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. It's a secret place of thunder. It's uh, like God has a, a secret storehouse that's not like any other storehouse that you've ever heard of in your life. Because the secret storehouse of God, it has thunder and lightning in it. It has tornadoes and all kinds of things that man has no control over. But everything in this storehouse is used by God whenever and however he sees fit. All these things, all these tools are at God's fingertips and he controls all these things by his wisdom and his power. Well, we've already seen that we who are believers have access to this secret place that God offers us. We have access through prayer. You called and I answered. We call, he answers from the secret place. And then God sends out his commands and they go forth like thunder. And one thing about thunder is that nobody can talk back to it. And that's the way once God has spoken, it will be done. Daniel 4.35 says, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? You see, God speaks better for us than we can speak of ourselves. And when he speaks for us, there's no one that can reply back to him. Psalm 46, as we've read, to the church it is said, God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. And it says, the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. You see, when God speaks, everything else is silent. Are you familiar with the secret place of the Most High, the secret place of thunder? Uh, Jesus has opened up the way to go in there. 
we have access to the secret place of thunder where God stores up all his uh, thunderous uh, providences for us. You called, it says, in trouble. And as I said earlier, there is no greater trouble than our sins. But Acts 2.21 says this, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Some of you children, are you concerned about your soul? Do you worry about having your sins forgiven? Well, he says, you called and I heard. And so you can call upon God. And it says right there in, 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 in the passage I've read that if we call upon, it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that goes for children as well as adults. Call upon him. Tell him you're concerned about your sins. Jesus, I don't want to die with my sins. Please take my sins away. You know what? You're calling upon him that has the power to take them away. And if you'll trust him, he most certainly will. And you can go to sleep and you can sleep with confidence and quietness. And he invites you to come to him and to call upon him. Come, as as I quoted this morning, the passage from Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 11 of of Jesus, where he says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon uh, upon you and learn from me. And I am gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, Jesus invites us to come. He invites us freely. And all those that come to him, he promises that he will not cast out. He'll speak for them on that day that's called the greatest day of trouble of all time. When the lost will call, and the lost will call, but they won't call upon God. They'll call upon the rocks and the hills to fall upon them on that day. And um, But you don't have to worry about that if you're calling upon God now. You're calling upon God now. You won't be calling upon the rocks and the hills to save you. You won't need them to save you because Jesus will save you. So we'll be observing the Lord's Supper tonight. And Jesus said that we must do this in remembrance of him, in remembrance of that greatest of all deliverances which he purchased for us upon the cross. And so he says, do this so that you'll remember, you'll remember this great, wonderful deliverance. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven.